Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay, and we're in a series called A Man After God's Own Heart on the life of King David from the Old Testament. God called him a man after his own heart, but we see that he was far from perfect. What was it about this man that God liked so much? This series looks at David's environment, his experiences, and his responses to try to discover how we can live a life that brings delight to God's heart. Let me pray as we open God's Word. We do just want to stop. Remember you, Lord. Remember there is a God. He is personal. He speaks. He can be known. And we don't just talk about you, we talk to you. To tell you this morning we love you. Trusting by grace through faith that somehow as we express that to you, it feels to you something like how it feels to us when our little child looks up to you, us and says, I love you, Daddy. I love you, Mom. So we rest in that love today, but also long to progress, to grow up in our faith, to bring you glory, open our hearts to the life of David and the truths that are embedded in his story, that our lives could be different. In Jesus' name, amen. Our title today is The Importance of Promises, and we're in a series, A Man After God's Own Heart, about the life of David. And this particular chapter, 2 Samuel 7, we're tarrying a little while longer just because there are a number of different things in it, not just things related to why we would say that David was a man after God's own heart, but things that we can learn about God's truth, his promises about God himself. And those things help us too. We want to know how to live a life that pleases God. Just like your child wants mom and dad to be proud of them. Maybe they kind of outgrow that for a while. But at least in the first ten years, they, they so much want you to be proud of them. And uh, we want uh, God to be glad we're in his family and bring him glory. Uh, we do it in his, in his power and with his strength, but uh, it brings him pleasure. And so in these weeks, we're looking at uh, uh, the aspect of a life that pleases God, a man after God's own heart, is someone who re can receive and respond to the promises of God. Slight review, last week we, we looked at the promise that God made to David in Second Samuel, if you have your sheet that we looked at last week, or if you have your Bible and want to look at 2 Samuel 7. And just very briefly, David has built himself a house and then began to feel bad that the worship of God was still going on in a, a tattered uh, tent. thought, well, God deserves at least as nice a house as I've got, so... And Nathan says, the prophet says, okay, sounds good to me. And then that night, God appears to Nathan and says, no, tell him not to do that. And tells him why. And then gets into verses 5 through 17, which is the other thing that God tells Nathan to tell David. Of course, you wonder, why didn't he just tell David? But anyway, 
And it's these, this list of promises that have, be, have come to be called the Davidic covenant or the covenant uh, made with David. If theologians can find a more difficult way to say something, they will. And they justify it by saying it's more accurate or something. I don't know. To me, if it's unintelligible, it doesn't matter how accurate it is. But we looked at how God promises that he will have offspring. He says, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And then with what he says, you realize that he's not talking about uh, a building because David just finished building a house. And he, but it's really talking about an eternal dynasty. And the greatest thing you could ever tell a king back then was your, your dynasty will last forever. We can't really relate to that, but we've never been a king either. So, uh, but that's a big deal if you're a king. But anybody that gets near the last fourth of their life is thinking more broadly than just survival. They're usually thinking uh, legacy and the lives of what's going on in the lives of your children, if you get that far, having grandchildren, that those become the most important things in your life. And so it, also for David, he also said, your, your name is going to be one of the greatest names in the history of the world, uh, that God's uh, eternal loving kindness would be over David, and he promised the, God's people a place and a home. So it's a, uh, a very interesting set of promises. So we want to kind of take a look today at the concept of promises to start off with, and we opened that subject last week. I'd like to give you a little bit of a task to do in small groups, twos, threes. That first one, why are promises important? Now, I know this is awful hard Sunday morning, may, may be a challenge, but I want you to talk amongst yourselves to try and think, think about and discuss why are promises important and why would you teach your children to keep their promises? They're sort of related, but it could be that as you think about talking to your children, some things will come to your mind about why, why you would want to do that. So go ahead and take a moment just to talk about that, and then we'll debrief. Okay, what you come up with? Let's debrief. Okay, because I said so. Great, that's a strong one, isn't it? That's really going to convince them. Okay, <laughs> we could maybe just stop right there. Okay, that is the bottom line, uh, but that, that bottom line only is helpful in the first maybe eight years of life. Then they grow up and they want to know why. So what else? Uh, why are promises important? Yeah, so it, it relates directly to the quality of relationships, and most people would say that relationships is the most important thing in their lives. Not everybody. You know, you see some people on TV that uh, apparently isn't very important, but most people feel that way. Yes. Right, uh, it affects not just uh, like personal relationships, but uh, all, kind of, all kind of social interaction really depends on promises. Maybe they're not all stated that way, you know, raise your right hand. Yeah, yeah. We, we mentioned the verse last week, Psalm fifteen four, that says, talk, talking about a righteous person, he says he, he he swears to his own hurt and and yet does not change. In other words, he makes a promise and then realizes, oh dear, what have I got myself into? But still follows through because he made his promise, his commitment. The whole idea of bringing glory to God means living according to His nature and reflecting His nature, and He's the uh, number one promise maker and keeper in the universe. Yeah. But it is dependent on a God in that person's life. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, I mean, do you accept promises from atheists? I mean, what are they promising on? 
uh, you do business with atheists and you trust them to a certain degree, you know. That you've, you've known some very nice non-believers that in the things that they do commit themselves, they, they do, even though it's not necessarily related to God. It's related to the image of God in them, though, even if they don't recognize it. One of the most important things you can develop as a parent is your ability to explain things to your children. Because in the first, first 10 years, in the first 10 years, it's more of an authority role. I say, you do. Now, they may not do it, but that's your challenge. Yeah, if you want any, any thoughts on that, listen to some of my talks on resources for discipleship on parenting in the first 10 years. But in the second 10 years, you're in a different role, and you're trying to equip them to parent themselves for the rest of their lives. And in order to do that, they're going to need more uh, development in their thinking about why we do what we do. Because they'll be put in situations where they really won't want to do something. and But if it's the right thing to do, they have to be able to talk themselves into it, just like you do every day. <laughs> in the challenges that you face, the temptations that you face, and so if you don't want your children to curse or use foul language, you have to think, what, what constitutes foul language? What makes foul language foul? It just sounds. What, what is it about that? And are there different categories of bad words? I remember thinking through all of that with my boys and realizing there are three types of bad words, and this is why we consider them bad, etc., and this is why we don't say it, and this is what the Bible says. So in this area of promises also, you're... Uh, understanding of it and your ability to communicate to that children, to that to your children, gives them more to face life with, because the world is all the time giving them reasons to go the other way. There was an article on CNN.com about is it better to live together before you get married, and there was this article which of course said it was. <laughs> Better to live together before you get married. But what was really interesting is reading about the 50 comments that other people wrote back in. I mean, and it was about 50-50. Half said it's a bad idea and half said it's a great idea. But you realize that all the time this traffic of ideas is going on, trying to convince people of which is the right way. So that's why in the, when we talk about promises uh, and, and raising your children, if this is one of the keys to great relationships and therefore a great life, then they have to be developing in their thinking about it. Uh, second task we're going to do, I want you to come up with some examples of promises. So talk again in your, your groups. What are different, think about different areas of life. What are uh, situations where promises, even if they're not called that, are, are coming into play? Okay, so talk a minute and we'll, then we'll debrief. What are some examples of promises? Just real quick. Um, your, your employer is going to pay you. Okay. You have an agreement with your employer. There are certain things that you've basically promised to do. There's a number of things that you sign when you start working there, and there are things that they, when they give you that job offer, that's a set of promises. Okay. What Marriage. Okay. That's the, that's the big one. It was in a big wedding yesterday. You're, stand, you're standing up there, probably rather be in bed right now. 
Uh, yeah, but I, and I had promised I would come. That's a good point. I thought about, I'm up here because of a promise. Parenthood. <laughs> Talk to me about that. What's that? What do you mean? Well, your children just understand that you will take care of them, or that's the promise, mm -hmm. the assumption of the promise as they are raised that you are constantly going to be there and take care of them and uh -huh. see them. And that's a great example of an implied promise. Uh, it's like an implied promise is something that everybody realizes, but maybe nobody stands up and says, I now promised and pledged to be your mom, you know, or your dad, and to do what dads do. But nevertheless, there's an understanding in our society, and we, we I mean, the, our children get their understanding of what our promise is from us, because we act in a certain way, consistently, and that almost becomes it's a promise. What else? What? Mortgage. Your mortgage. Right. Mortgages, contracts, and the bank evaluates to what degree they think they can count on you to fulfill your part of the bargain. Now, I haven't evaluated it very carefully in the last 10 years, but uh, checkbook. It's a set of promises that you can write out. Paper money. Paper money. Uh, paper, just, just a dollar bill is a promise because it really is just paper. But it's a promise related to uh, the government standing behind the piece of paper. Credit cards. Teachers and students. Teacher has a certain responsibility, we call it just responsibility, but really it's, it's a promise. It's a commitment to be there, to be uh, fair, just, to actually teach them something. And that's one of the issues with cheating, isn't it, with students? Because they're really breaking a promise of the, of the, the way the contract is set up. And the, and an institution of learning is for learning. It's not for learning how to be bad. It's for learning how to be productive. Okay, can you imagine a world without promises then? What difference would it make? You've got a little progression there and... and uh, one of you alluded to that, but you've got this the statement, no promises. And if there are no promises, if there are really no promises, then there are no commitments. There's no commitment, if you want to jot in your blanks there. And if, well, so what? So there's no commitment. Uh, we just live for the day. But if there's no commitment, then there's no trust. If someone will not make any commitment, that was one of the things that came up in this article about uh, trying out marriage before you actually get married. Well, what does that imply? That implies that you're only in it for yourself. You're choosing it the same way you would choose a car or something. And nobody has a car till death do us part, maybe till a wreck do us part, but it's the kind of thing you'll change again when it no longer seems to be that the benefits outweigh the inconveniences. So with no commitment, then there's no trust. With no trust, then there's no relationship. I mean, how can you really walk intimately with somebody that you can't trust? Anybody that's had a, gone through a situation of betrayal, whether it be a, a mar marital infidelity, but it, there are lots of different kinds of betrayal, you realize that that is, it's like an earthquake and it's like an atom bomb on that relationship. Doesn't mean that you can't continue but you will limp an awful long time because there really isn't any deep relationship without trust. How do I know I can trust you? Because you said this, 
but you did this. You didn't fulfill your promise. How, will I, how can I know you won't do the same thing again? And if there's no relationship, there's no fellowship. No fellowship. So what, what would be the result of a world with no promises? That'd be loneliness, selfishness, egotism, and purposelessness. Most people's sense of purpose, most people's sense of purpose, if they're at all a mature human being, relates to other people. I want to help the poor. I want to help have my children be do well. It, it all relates to people. So what, what if you are cut off from all relationships with all people? What does that do to your sense of purpose? I want to eat and drink and be merry, but um, it's not as very merry now because it's not with anybody, so that I can go back to work to earn money to go eat some more, and then I'm going to get old and sick and die. Where's the purpose in that? You know, you have become just a, like an animal, in a sense. But even animals have masters, you know, that they like. Uh, so the lack of promises really would be the destruction of life as we know it, of fellowship, of purpose. So let's uh, move now to a subset of promises, which we would call covenants. The Bible calls covenants. All covenants are promises, but not all promises are covenants. What makes a promise turn into a covenant? Well, in the Bible, it's usually blood. There's a, one definition of a covenant is it's a bond in blood. Covenant is like a super promise. It's like the most serious promise. It's underlined. It's in bold. But the way you, you make a covenant more serious is you up the ante of what happens if you don't keep the covenant. And the, the original idea of killing an animal, from my understanding of it, was not to pay for something. It's to say, may that happen to me if I don't keep the covenant. May my blood be shed. And so it's when we say like till death do us part or stuff like that, you know, normally for a, a promise to be strengthened, the parties also agree to the consequences if you don't keep the promise. And let's look, let's take a look really quickly at, at the overview of the Presbyterian approach to theology is called a covenantal theology because it puts a lot of emphasis on God's covenant. There are seven covenants, uh, main covenants, that you've got there, and, and you've got a space to put on the side. There's the creation covenant, which was a covenant of works. He said, you must not eat of this tree, for the day you eat of it, you will die. Then there was the second one, the covenant after the fall, with Adam, where he basically promises that there will come a, a future redeemer, and that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. He will bruise the heel. And it was really a veiled reference, most believe, to the coming of Christ who would defeat Satan and bring salvation. The third covenant was with, at the time of Noah, and it was a covenant of preservation. Why? What was, what was he, the covenant of Noah promised? Not again have a worldwide destruction of mankind. Then with Abraham, they would just say it was the 
the covenant of promise, which sounds redundant, but it, it means the promise to, to make him a great nation and bless all the nations of the earth through him, which ultimately was through Jesus Christ. Then the covenant with through Moses was covenant of law, which we learn in the New Testament, the actual purpose of the covenant of law was to show us that we can't keep the law, but Jesus can. Then the one we're looking at, the covenant with David, is the covenant of kingdom. That there wouldn't just be a nation, that, that God would set up a dynasty, a royal dynasty, through the descendant of David, who turned out to be Jesus. And then finally, the new covenant, the covenant of Christ, which is... Uh, We'll just put in the word consummation because that's what everything was leading to. Yes, an excellent point. This isn't, in terms of your computer, this isn't a system change each time. Like here you're saved by one thing and here you're saved by another thing. It's more like a plant, a seed that's planted. And at each stage along the way, it's, it's different and yet it's the same. It's developing out of the original the original seed. So the, it's more like computer upgrades, version 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, but all leading to the final expression of all of these covenants in what Christ does with his people. And of course, Satan also makes promises. He makes like counter offers to what God has said. And you're stuck. Are you going to go with him? or with God. He even did that with the Son of God, talking about nerve, you know. He, he says, well, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms. Now, that was a promise. We don't know if he would have fulfilled it, but even if, he, if it's true, I mean, Satan is happy to give you some things to get what he wants. His ultimate goal is your destruction. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the promise is the only thing that you can take from this world to the next. You don't take your body, you don't take your clothes, you don't take your money, you don't take any of your, of your loved ones. All that links you really with the next world are the promises of God. So often it's something that's kind of over here, we don't really think about it that much. But it's as important as the heart beating in your chest, your, your breath going in and out. Third thing I want us to look at is God's promises. And I want to look at two categories. The first is general promises, that, uh, like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where he says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything, and God's peace will guard your heart. That's a promise. It will guard your heart. John 15, 7, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be given to you. It shall be given to you. Uh, Matthew 28, 20. Uh, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we'll look next week at, well, what do you do with promises? But uh, we, we can't cover everything in one week. So, But I also want to bring up a subject of specific promises, promises that uh, an individual may feel that God in a special way has given him a passage of Scripture and it's the kind of thing you, you know, it's by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It's not divinely inspired or anything. But there, every person here has felt a tug towards certain passages of Scripture, certain things, either certain commands, certain uh, statements of truth. But also uh, it could be that you feel a relationship, a special tie to certain promises. And it's almost as though God is, in a special way, almost given you uh, that 
that verse. The founder of the Navigators felt like God had given him a number of key promises in Isaiah that was the foundation of all the work, worldwide uh, work of the Navigators. And I wasn't sure originally how I felt about that. You know, it sounds like kind of like, woo, I don't know. And I thought, well, but I, but I don't know. The Bible also says walk by the Spirit, and it doesn't make that very clear either. <laughs> but in 1977, as I was praying, having my quiet time, God, uh, in a very special way, in this very passage, in verse 11, the, the, the one sentence really jumped out at me. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you, 2 Samuel 7, 11. And I can't explain it, but it really seemed like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is a promise that God is making to you. And since I realized it was talking about him having descendants, I thought, I took it as a promise that I was going to get married. Now, I couldn't say, well, for sure, for sure at the time, but it just sort of seemed that way, so I just sort of set it there, but began trusting God that, that he would give me a wife, which he did. Then we lost our first child in the fifth month, and when, when he got pregnant with Walt, she began bleeding in the second month. She was put to bed for six months, gained 60 pounds. But it, during that time, God brought back to mind this promise, because the promise wasn't that David was going to be married. It was that he was going to have children. And I thought, well, you know, and I claimed that promise that God would give us a house, but give us children. And Walt was born and three more. Then in Argentina, our rent went way up and we really needed to find an alternative. And I thought, well, we should just buy a house. Now, normally when you can't afford to rent, your first thought isn't what we need to buy. Particularly in Argentina, you have to pay cash for the whole thing, half at the beginning of the month and half at the end of the month. So if you're buying a $100,000 house, it's $50,000 on September 1st and the other 50000 on October 1st or you lose the first half. I mean, it's like this crazy thing. But as I was walking and praying in my living room about needing the house, and um, I stopped and realized I was staring at uh, something on the wall. You know how sometimes you're looking at things you don't see them? At least men, that happens to men. <laughs> and I realized it was our, our wedding invitation which had this verse on it. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. And I thought, wow, I don't know if I'm kind of going overboard. But just in case, Lord, um, I'll trust you that to use your promise uh, that you'll also give us an actual house. And uh, a friend came up a couple of weeks later and he says, well, I've been praying and I really feel like God's uh, provided the money for you all somehow. And we'd, we'd already checked out. There was no way to get loans either there or here. And someone said, well, what's happened with the house? And I said, I don't know, but in three or four months, we'll have a house and ask me how God did it. And sure enough, within three months, we were in a home. There's some very miraculous circumstances, but someone that didn't have the money, all of a sudden got it and, and loaned it all to us. <laughs> and so we bought a house. And uh, the Lord did the same thing with getting a house here. I mean, there's a number of ways that God's fulfilled this. And in the back of my Bible, I have the uh, written out the references to the other to that and the other sixteen promises I feel like God's given me in my life, and that I've been watching Him Him fulfill. So that's a small a, an example of a sort of a subset of promises, uh, but that can also be very a very important aspect.
of, of God, God's word to you. So how about you? All your hope this morning for a future and a hope is wrapped up in the promises of God. And what we want to look at next week is, well, what are you supposed to do with promises? Is it just like an heirloom you polish and put up on the shelf, or is there something you're, some way you're supposed to respond? And uh, if he's promised it, then you just do you just wait for it? And if he hasn't promised it, does that mean you could never get it if it was something good? I mean, God hasn't promised your child's going to graduate from high school or, you know, not not go to jail or whatever. So next week, we want to get more into the practical aspects of what does the Bible teach about how do you relate to the promises of God? And then we want to see what are the main things we learn also in this passage from the life of David? Well, uh, what, what things do we see here that show that he was a man after God's own heart? And how can we apply that in our lives? Okay? So if you get a chance to look over 2 Samuel 7, again, your own involvement with the, with the text and thinking about it is going to make your time in the, in the class more productive for you personally. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who makes binding commitments and follows through, that you swear to your own hurt and you don't change. And your promise, ancient promise that you would send a Savior was a very costly one. And frankly, it went really poorly for Jesus. Uh, most people uh, didn't receive him, and some turned their back on him, and others killed him. Lord, we would not normally classify that as a successful uh, venture. And yet, out of the agony of death and torture and despair and holocaust, you raised up a salvation and totally turned the game around so that now we have a future and a hope and a savior and a relationship with a great God. So we want to learn more about you. We want to get a sense of what these precious promises mean and how the words that you have spoken over our lives will be fulfilled because you are God and you are faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.